0: Hello and welcome to our second installment of A Poke in the AI. Uh, I'm Franco Debonis, Marketing Director with Visua, and along with my guest today, we'll look at the growing issue of graphical attack vectors in phishing attacks and why traditional AI is struggling to stop it. There's never been more focus or money spent on preventing cyber attacks. Despite this, the number of serious phishing attempts is growing every day and the methods employed by bad actors are getting more sophisticated all the time. We know that AI has taken a leading role in all of this. But what are the challenges? And is there a role for visual AI slash computer vision in all of this? Bad actors are adopting ingenious techniques using graphics in their attack vectors to to not only fool humans, but to fool the phishing detection systems too. It's this aspect that we're going to delve into today, looking at the types of graphical attacks being employed and how visual AI can be used to ensure they are detected and blocked. Now we are visual AI experts, but we're not cybersecurity experts. So as we discuss this today, not only do we have our CTO, Alessandra Prest, and our VP of Sales and Marketing, Declan McGonigal to cover our side of this subject, we're also delighted to be joined by Dr. Budgie Danda, cybersecurity expert from PA Consulting. Now, Budgie, I met you on a, on a panel uh, that we headed up, that you headed up last year, I should say. It was very enjoyable. Um, and I was really impressed with your knowledge and the heritage in this area. So for the benefit of our users and listeners, could you just give us a short summary of what you've been up to and what you do?
1: Thank you very much, Franco. Uh, so I've been involved in and around cybersecurity probably for about 25 to 30 years now working across pretty much all the sectors, finance, telcos, transport, but my real focus tends to be around the government side, particularly defence and national security, uh, but I've worked with NHS organisations as well. and It's covered all aspects of it. Uh, starting off in the early days, reasonably technical. These days, I tend to spend more of my time around the strategy, policy, governance and supporting boards in particular to understand the threats of cyber security and mitigation actions that it need to take and phishing and ransomware are still very much high on the list of priorities for pretty much everyone I speak to. So it's a very timely conversation.
0: Brilliant, thank you for that. Um, And I look forward to uh, getting all your insights on this. It's gonna be very interesting. Um, So let's get started then. So there's a lot of talk about brand spoofing, um, but not so much around actually this growing thing of graphical attack vectors and how graphics have been weaponized. So I wanna delve into that first and discuss that. Um, Declan, you're, you've been talking to a lot of companies um, in terms of how this uh, could be implemented and used and what they might do with it. So how widespread an, an issue is this um, in terms of this concept of graphics being used as a weapon?
2: Yeah, thanks, Michael. So um, I suppose we've seen with a lot of the conversations with our uh, clients and potential partners, Um, at the coalface they've been telling us this but if you even look at the kind of industry stats uh, the number of unique phishing sites detected has grown by over 300 percent you know unique phishing email subject has grown by over 200 percent and a worrying one is the number of brands being spoofed has grown by over 50 percent so we we see even in the mimecast uh, state of email survey that like 42 percent reported that brand spoofing is a growing danger and 47 percent reported an upswing in spoofing attacks so allied to this is the fact that a lot of employees are clicking on three times as many malicious emails as they were in 2020. So what these stats show is that not only are the numbers increasing in terms of bad activity, but the techniques are working in the mails and spoofing web pages are actually making it through the company's defenses. Um, and what we've seen is a growth obviously in the, in the area of the graphical attack factors um, adding to um, kind of what was there before and growing mm. exponentially. So uh, they're
0: really scary numbers. Uh, Budgie, what does what that, you know, you're, you're, pardon the pun, you know, you're at the coalface, you're doing this day in, day out, and dealing with these problems. What does it mean? Uh, you know, can you put that into context, what it means to companies you work with?
1: There's some really good statistics there from Declan, uh, but I think what, yeah, you can need to look behind the statistics because behind every single one of those numbers, there's a real victim. Uh, be it an individual, be it a corporation, be it a government. Uh, and we're seeing more and more of these. Uh, I mean, fishing was on the rise anyway. But, uh, and all we've seen now, particularly during the whole lockdown phase with more people working from home, there have been more opportunities for the bad actors to find new ways in, uh, be it you know, people being rushed to make decisions or panicked into buying things online, you know, PPE or whatever else. Uh be it organisations being under stress, uh, moving away from working in the office to working to home-based and all of a sudden opening up a whole new uh, threat surface. So, behind, as I said, behind every single one of these is is a crime. It's not victimless. And if you look at the scale of the impact on many of these organisations and individuals, you're looking at not only for an individual, it could be thousands or tens of thousands of pounds that gets lost or systems destroyed. But like if you're a big organization, uh, not only could you end up having your systems compromised, your data leaked out onto the web, being held to ransom, uh, in, impacted by ransomware, having to pay large fu- uh, fees to these uh, bad actors if you want to try and get your data back, or actually if your data's leaked outside, you're being hit by big fines by the ICO. So it's, it's a huge issue, and it usually is. Uh, and if it's not, it should be high on the list of any board's decisions and risks uh, every time they meet. So
0: if I'm reading between the lines, this move to homeworking, this move to online, you've got a bunch of people who aren't necessarily experts. Bad actors don't need to be exponentially more ingenious. They need to just be a little bit more ingenious, a little bit more believable to get even better results. Is that what I'm hearing from you?
1: But what we tend to find is actually they are becoming more ingenious. They are very ingenious already. And what we find that um, people are trying to defend the systems are often playing catch up. These bad actors have access to all the latest technology and they're very quick to exploit anything new that comes along. So it's a a constant uh, game of playing catch up.
2: I think it's also relevant as well, Frank, when you talk about the victimless, there's no victimless crime over here. Our health service authority was held ransom, which, you know, when you take, when you look at that in, in big picture, how many people were affected by that and are still being affected by it. So it very much is not a victimless crime. It's very much a very, very serious crime.
0: Yeah, absolutely and so in terms of the impact um, the impact of these these changes to how bad actors are implementing stuff and what it means for the success of those campaigns can you outline that from your perspective budgie
1: every time they come up with a new way of attacking or refine their way of attacking and they increase the number of successful attacks yeah, Even a 1% increase in the number of successful phishing attacks is a huge volume of crime. Uh, I mean, there are millions and millions of, you know, many of the systems that you find on big corporates, they're being hit by millions of different attacks uh, a day, uh, in an hour, or even in minutes. So you know, a very small percentage increase in their ability to f- make their phishing email and usually uh, phishing emails because that's still one of the most common ways of uh, getting malware into a system making that more effective is is great for them Uh, so we need to find new ways of adapting to this and you know AI machine learning has been something that's been coming along for some time it's not the panacea at the moment but every new technique that we can find to try and reduce that threat uh, is something that we've got to really look at
0: and what's really interesting is even now we've, we've there's a lot of focus on B two B corporate and stuff, but actually this goes beyond just that. Is that right?
3: What, what we have observed um, is that the, the breadth is pretty is pretty wide. The spectrum of brands being spoofed and therefore the target victim is is pretty wide. So while in our intuition, we might think that those are mostly uh, banking and, and insurance companies being spoofed. Actually, there, there's a, a, a whole lot of, um, if you want to call it B2C, as in targeting uh, final consumers um, of, of specific products, which are not necessarily financial. So we can think of, we, we've seen a lot of, uh, um, for example, online gaming, uh, phishing attacks. So uh, you will be receiving an email that says that your Minecraft account is about to be blocked. Click on this link uh, to uh, to restore it. Um, Roblox. So all this kind of platform where especially uh, y- the younger audience kind um, uh, of play and and gather on. So effectively those type of attacks. Uh, in the eyes of the in the eyes of the attacker, have the benefit of, of selecting for a younger, more gullible audience, if you will, um, and so we we really see this kind of expanding and uh, the, across the whole spectrum of online services, if you will, um, that that people people use on a daily basis.
0: Hmm. So, so let's get into. The, the core of the thing, which is this concept of graphical attack vectors, and uh, Ale, let me put this to you: what what does what does that actually mean? Uh, how are graphics being weaponized in this in this way?
3: Yeah, so it's a it's an interesting way to circumvent um, a number of um, checks and uh, and technologies that people have deployed over time to prevent phishing. So it effectively means hiding information inside the pixels as opposed to in the in the code in the HTML code of, a, of an email or a, or a web page and because the, the the security industry historically have developed an extremely sophisticated method to um, detect uh, this type of attacks at a code level, now the attackers are moving into a visual level so creating, um, a spoofing and phishing, um, um, let's say, uh, material that are presented to the user as, uh, as an image, uh, but the, uh, an unsuspecting victim uh, wouldn't really distinguish whether the page, the web page is looking at is, is actually generated by code or, or, or it's just an image. And by, um, let's say, uh, packaging it as, as, a, as a visual element, as, as an image, this allows to bypass most of the um, existing anti phishing software because they will be only looking in the, in the code of the email uh, or, or the web page, which in this case looks, uh, um, uh, let's say, uh, non threatening enough because it's simply displaying an image and maybe with some. And hyperlinks um, areas, some hot areas where people would be clicking, for example, to to uh, submit uh, some information, and, and and that is exactly the trigger then for for the attack to begin. So effectively, this is the um, the definition for for uh, this new vector, which is the the graphical the graphical attack vector.
0: Uh, and am I right that there's there's two parts to this? Uh, one is the the let's call it visual confusion confusing recipients I don't like to call them victims but recipients of this communication and another part is visual evasion so which you touched on also which is evading detection so I think two good examples of that if I'm right is turning a link or or putting uh, a a genuine link into an image but behind it you would put a short code to your bad site is that have I got that right?
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, the, we've seen it. We've seen it happening in, in different ways. Um, so the, the, there's definitely that element of hiding a single link within an image that then is going to take the the target, the, the the potential victim, to a separate website, and from there the attack begins. But we've also seen much more sophisticated um, approaches where there will be a uh, an image serving as the uh, sort of the background on the website and now you have um, areas where you can uh, where you're requested to put in your password or your email address and those will be actual uh, proper um, input input areas where the information will be captured uh, right right there so I guess there is a continuum of of, um, uh, approaches here from more sophisticated to, to, let's say, uh, more plain ones. But the the concept is the same. So you would be hiding the information that that makes that page credible and believable inside the pixels so that traditional techniques would be blind to it. Mm
0: you're Declan you're having some you know very specific conversations with with some of these partners and and even prospective companies we're talking to what, what are the are there any other sort of techniques that have been highlighted recently
2: uh, i think the one that uh, comes to mind really is qr codes so mm-hmm. i think people are you know they're aware of the the, the links they're aware of the use of logos etc but qr codes are now becoming another one that we're seeing as a an attack vector that's being used widely. Um, and we've started to try and address it.
0: And presumably that's particularly effective at targeting like
2: a mobile? mobile yeah, it's ma- mainly at the mobile. Um, okay. 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 Yeah, I
3: think we are at a stage now where where people are becoming much more uh, familiar with, with the that QR code way to bridge a uh, let's say, to, to easily reach a, a link, the users will be predominantly scanning the QR code from, from mobile. And so that creates a very dangerous uh, surface uh, attack surface because now uh, you, you can leverage on a number of assumptions that user is, is, is using a, um, a, mobile, uh, a mobile system to access the, the QR code. Uh, the, there isn't much built-in protection currently in those QR code scanners. So it represents a, a, a pretty uh, effective um, attack surface right now. Mm. Okay, so let's
0: let's kind of get a, a baseline to some degree because so we, we have a better understanding of what graphical attack vectors are, um, various mechanisms, that's fine, graphical ve- mechanisms. Let's understand from an AI point of view, Budgie, where, uh, and obviously a lot of our listeners will, uh, and viewers will understand a lot, they'll be implementing AI themselves. So let's, you know, we don't need to go into a a big, long discussion about it, but uh, what's the point of AI in cybersecurity? What is it used for, basically?
1: So the, the big rationale for using AI is, well, there's a number of rationales. One is Uh, you can't do this manually. We need to find a way of automating the way we go about scanning, particularly for phishing emails, to try and eliminate them as as early as possible. the old school, very, very simple techniques of, you know, uh, scanning uh, for keywords, uh, blacklisting and whitelisting sites only went so far because you had to make a small tweak and it would get through because the signature changed. What AI helps us to do is look for patterns, looks for anomalies, looks for context. So you know phrases, uh, what is what the email may be asking for, and then linking that to any other contextual information that may well be in there. So if you're, you know, and, and I know we'll come to this. You know, one of the uses of putting graphics in there is building confidence in what's actually in there. So if you've got an email from a reputable brand in there, linked to a requirement to enter a password or Reauthenticate authenticate yourself or whatever you know there's that confidence piece in there but actually also what you find is that you know the AI looks for that or can look for that but it also looks from where, where uh, the email may have come from so that that's part of it I think that the the difficult part of this is you know AI can also be used for the other the side as well who are constantly finding ways of actually exploiting AI to try and find ways around the filters in the first place
0: yeah, yeah, and I was just going to get into that because what's really interesting is the likes of Nicole Egan, uh, currently CSO but ex CEO at the time at Darktrace, talked about a future where it was going to be AI versus AI. Now, um, to some degree, is is the use of AI reacting to what bad actors are doing, or is it ahead of the game, or, or you know, what? How did that come about?
1: I, I think we're in almost a game of you know who's got the better better AI. I mean AI has been around for a long time, doing all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. You know, everything from you know creating bookworks of art, but that sort of imaginative use of AI can be used just as much to help develop new malware or modify malware in such a way that will get through your current filters. So it's it's a game of constantly playing catch up. You know they're changing the patterns, we're looking for new patterns and trying to spot anomalies in patterns. So it's 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 been around for a while. And I think all we're finding is that, you know, with the availability of AI at a lower price point now for many people and people becoming familiar with it, it's becoming more endemic in, in its use in both defensive and offensive cyber.
3: Mm.
0: And so we kind of call this, uh, I don't know if this is an industry term, as I say, we're not cyber experts at all. But when when we look at this thing from the use of AI looking for patterns in the code in the you know in the background of an email or website we talk about programmatic AI right um, so let's understand uh some of the issues around that because clearly if it worked flawlessly it, no no phishing emails will get through uh, all bad websites will be detected so clearly there is there is some challenge here um so what are the What are the holes that are being exploited? Um, Why does it sometimes not work, I guess, is the question.
3: Traditional AI techniques for for detecting this type of attacks sort of operate at at one level of indirection compared to what the user sees. And again, this level of indirection is the code that is then interpreted by by the browser, for example, to generate the page. So working at, at this level, as a number gives an gives the attacker uh, a number of advantages in terms of um formulating a specific code to generate the page in a different way in an unusual way that the system might not be able to to detect and so ai is very important in in uh, uh, trying to uh, analyze that level the, the code level because Attackers are always changing their, their tactics, and therefore, uh, having more computing power available to, to uh, detect this, this um, um, let's say, permutations uh, is, is very, very important. But again, in, I think we, we should draw a distinction between uh, operating at the code level and operating at the visual level, because in that case, the, that level of indirection is, is removed. Uh, so, if we have a technology that is able to read into uh, images, then that's exactly what the user is going to see. There is no, there is no interpretation happening between the, the artifact for the attack and, and what the user is going to see. So, these this techniques, the, the visual AI versus the traditional, as you call it, programmatic AI. Uh, they do operate at, at different levels, and so I think it's an important distinction to, to draw when when somebody is evaluating or is looking at um, protecting their, their their system with um, cybersecurity uh, software and anti software.
0: So going back to one of the points Budgie made earlier about you know what AI does, uh, it looks for patterns, it looks for uh, different. Um, you know, it effectively uses data to connect different data points to identify things. What I'm hearing from you is that this is a uh, just basically another bunch of signals.
3: Exactly, it's it's another set of signals which are complementary to to the uh, to the signal which are extracted at the code level. Um, so by no means. Uh, i think that that the visual ai is going to replace uh, the traditional techniques for for anti-phishing but i i do believe that they're uh, absolutely complementary because they look at a different signal look at the different dimension uh, of the attack and it's important that that both are covered in order to prevent as many uh, attacks as, as possible i
1: don't think that's an important point i mean it's not a a replacement it's another indicator of confidence in what is coming through or being blocked i mean ultimately you have to tune the systems and there will always be some in the middle and you quite often see a message that this could be spam or this looks like spam or you know this could be a phishing attack Uh, it's just a warning level Uh, but if it can block stuff great But if if not, even if it's giving a a bit more warning for somebody that, you you may want to have a closer look at this before you click on a link, or you may want to put it in a sandbox to check it before it goes through to the user. I think that's all valuable and helps reduce the threat to individuals and organizations.
0: Does it help? um, Does it help break through the noise? You know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you from someone at that end, you know, any technology that helps say, okay, instead of just a warning, we can to some degree definitely tell you that this is this needs to be blocked you know ha- I hear about warning overload uh, is that is that something that
1: helps? I mean, I mean that's the reality for anyone that's fighting uh, against all these attacks and the systems end up being tuned and tuned and tuned to try and reduce the false positives and the false negatives uh, as much as we can do, but you will always have some that's in the middle, particularly when you're looking at so you're using something like AI, because there's, there's no black and white. Uh, you, yeah, If you're lucky, you'll have some which are, yeah, absolutely, this is something we don't want to let through, and that's great, but it's the ones which are in the middle, and that's where the value of AI comes in, where it's helping to make that judgment call for, for you. Uh, the current, as you call them, the programmatic-type stu- uh, interventions, they're pretty good for the most part, uh there are always variations and and it doesn't matter whether it's in how a phishing email is structured or what the payload that may come with it uh, yeah it may be a perfectly legitimate uh email but the attachment that you may have with it may be infected so yeah there are always things which are going to have to uh, have different types of treatment to them what we're looking for here is yet another indicator which helps us make those decisions and whether it's an automated decision or whether it's a manual uh, decision, one way or another, if it's another indicator to give us a confidence, that helps.
0: Brilliant. Okay. Very interesting. Um, so, Ale, you are a very smart guy. I've worked with you a while, um, but I know that we weren't sitting there as a company looking at cybersecurity as an area that we could apply visual AI, computer vision to as a... I don't think it was even on our radar as a as a problem that we could get involved in. So, how did we end up getting involved in this?
3: Yeah, I, I, I wish I, I wish I could say that uh, we this came out of a of a meeting and we had this brilliant idea to to go in in, in this market, but unfortunately, that, that's not the case. Like in in um, like in many other um, verticals that that we serve we, we effectively got dragged into into it it's a bit like um, really uh, being being called in the middle of the night there is this problem I see you guys do visual AI can you help us solve it and and that's effectively the, the way the way it went down um, so it's it's interesting how uh, especially not being, as you said uh, correctly, uh, not being cybersecurity expert. Uh, it, it's still interesting to see, though, how our technology was extremely effective on, on this uh, on this problem, even though it wasn't built for that purpose. But again, the, the visual element of, of any, um, let's say, uh, any industry problem in a way tends to normalize things. And also we, we could see here how the industry, uh, the cybersecurity industry uh, evolved over decades, deploying more and more sophisticated ways to, to work and detect this, um, this type of attacks at code level. Now we're relatively new to, to this challenge, but, but could provide right away an extremely effective solution for um, uh, addressing the the graphical attack surface, so um, it's it's always fascinating to see how the things work out in in, in practice.
0: And, and Declan, you've been you've kind of been working very closely with with companies as they go as this has evolved, because we started off literally just doing logo detection, right? Um, and how did it, where's it progressed from there? Because now we're using the whole suite. So what, why is that? I suppose
2: um, the main thing that really that we've seen in working with some of the partners is um, AI is a very broad term. Even visual AI is a broad term and it means different things to different people. So I think the engagements with our with our partners in this space has shown them um, as we've started, like you said, looking for logos first. Then looking for kind of maybe favicons, then looking for text, then looking for you know login pages and password requests, et cetera. They've realised that the, the the kind of breadth of what we can do and the number of visual signals that can be picked up is a lot broader than it was kind of initially assumed. And we've seen a case where you know partners of ours have started working on one piece, maybe on the logo piece, but then not really been able to address all of the others. Um, and kind of having a whole suite of people who are expert in it um, has proven to be something that has helped contribute to to, to people being successful. Um, I think you, you made a very good point. We always approach to say that we're not cybersecurity experts, but what we are is visual AI experts. And what we're looking to do is to assist people to enhance their threat scores um we, we don't work with end users we don't work with anybody except the companies that are providing these services and trying to work in parallel with them to to assist them, enhance those threat scores and increase their threat detection rates great um
0: and i and i'm going to ask you this question Ali. and i don't mean it to be like some kind of you know opening into a sales thing because uh, that's not what this is about but um the the companies that approached us could have gone multiple routes you know there are various uh models and libraries and apis available and you know uh potentially they could have built it in-house and so on so what what are the challenges that meant they sought us out uh as as a provider for the as a as a fixer of this problem
3: we are definitely in an era of democratization of, of ai so Right now, even with relatively small teams of of engineers, it's possible to build um, AI models in-house that I think we're at a stage where, let's say, you could build a convincing demo for the stakeholders. Now, going from that convincing demo that you build with, with a team of, of four people over a couple of months. Going from there to a production system that is uh, analyzing millions of potential attacks on a, on a daily basis and doing that with the highest level of, of precision and recall, meaning um, uh, very low false positive and false negative errors, it's a different story. So. In a way, uh, I mean, another interesting aspect I wanted to point out is this is an industry, the the cybersecurity industry, uh, it's in a way unique in a sense that it's an industry where good enough is not good enough, where um, companies are striving to provide the highest level of uh, protection and the highest rate of detection of this type of attacks because attackers need to be lucky just once. So they have, uh, attackers have the advantage of being able to replicate these attacks over and over, always with different permutations of um, uh, of their code or of the images. Therefore, the highest level of um, accuracy is required when, when deploying um, cybersecurity and software. So that's another, I think, aspect that calls for the, for for a very high grade of, of software being being deployed and we have a reputation uh, in the market for for being a, um, a high quality supplier of, of visual ai technology so i think this these two these two aspects together um made us very successful in in this um in this industry
0: and that's, I guess, Baji, again, from your industry perspective, entrenched in the industry, um, you've got this whole thing, build versus buy versus partnerships. We're seeing a lot of partnerships going on now. Um, approaching challenges like this, um, what do you, I mean, is there a, is there like a, a standard approach that companies take? Do they prefer to build or do they prefer to buy or what, what's the story?
1: No, it is very much horses for courses, and it depends on you know, what sort of sectors you're serving, what your business model is, uh, and th- there's two sides to this. You know, there is, yeah, you know, that commercial advantage piece. Uh, cause if, if you're if, if you're a buyer of these systems, uh, be anti malware, be it, you know, whatever it is, seam tools, you want something that's going to keep up to date with threat so you're looking to see not only what sort of coverage are the products giving but how quickly they evolve to respond to the upcoming threat so if there's a new zero day that's identified and now are you going to take one day to respond to it one week to respond to it one month to respond to it so as somebody who's buying services that's the sort of thing i look for in the companies now in the companies themselves that are producing the products and services to try and Defend against uh, these attack vectors. Yeah, they've got to make a decision. Yeah, am I big enough? Is this uh, is the problem big enough? That means that I've got to have a full-time team doing this. And if you need to have, if you work out that you need 10 or 20 people on, to do this, then it probably makes sense to go away and build that team. uh And but that's not something you're going to do quickly, and it's not easy to do because you know these are skills that are in high demand at the moment. Everybody's after data scientists and AI specialists, so you yeah, you're going to have to make a really strong business case and then you're going to have to figure out how to evolve that team so you're going to have to buy some top end talent and then grow talent beneath that, or you go buy and buy a company or buy buy a team so that's one way of doing it uh for others it's yeah you know, it's a it's an important issue, but I probably don't need somebody on a full time basis for you know three hundred and sixty five days of the year I don't need ten people doing that, so it may be a case of doing a hybrid of actually. I'll have some people in-house and I'll contract out some of the, this capability. Or it may actually be, you know, I'll, I'll buy this in as a service because you know, somebody who's doing this as a service will actually be dealing with multiple clients anyway. They'll see more threat vector, vectors in the first place, so they'll probably have a, a more rounded product because they're devo- uh, developing something that's actually, you know, looking at a lot more data points. So it's, it's horses for courses and everyone that makes their own, make buy decisions as they're going through and sometimes mm. it's a hybrid.
0: Right uh, but it but from what you've said there it sounds like speed to market in addressing these issues is is a critical consideration.
1: Yeah no, nobody wants to buy a piece of technology that's not able to keep up to date with right. what the threats are. if yeah you know, if I know that there's a new attack out there today, I don't want to be waiting a week for my provider to come up with a solution to protect me from that
0: right absolutely so it's that tight I mean it's even a week for, oh know. no
1: it's less than a week wow. <laughs> it, it, normally you want something within hours uh, a day wow. at the most
0: wow okay
1: um, if you think about it yeah you know, once something like that comes out and it leaks on onto the dark web and people know about it but the adversaries are going to exploit that as fast as possible they know there's right. a window of opportunity they want to get it out there as fast as possible hit as many systems as possible yep. and see what happens because again Uh, it comes back to to your one percent yeah
0: yeah okay very good very good Uh, so uh, we know some companies are already implementing uh, computer vision in their detection stacks Um, but we've also identified because we do it differently Ali so I'd like you to explain what this difference is we know that there are challenges in doing it that way so what I mean by applying computer vision programmatically is that again you look at the code and then you look at where the images are and you analyze those images but there are challenges with that as well right so it's not just a simple solution what do we do differently why is why is and i don't mean this again as a i don't want this to be kind of a sales pitch but you know we're happy to share this methodology because it's you know at the end of the day we know our api is great but the methodology is the important thing so what is it that is important about our methodology.
3: Uh, yeah, I think it boils down um, to 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 that kind of normalization that we, we talked about before. So, um, creating a uh, g- given a say uh, some machine code that that will translate into a web page or an email. Uh, the key um, differentiator for our approach would be to take that code and render it as if it was being presented to a user. So we're effectively playing, we're putting ourselves in the shoes of of the user, creating a visual rendition of what that code is, and then applying our visual AI on, on that rendition. So we are playing as close as we can effectively uh, exactly like a user would would do when he's receiving uh, this malicious code. So uh, we, we call this uh, our three-step render process report, where the, the render part is exactly turning that machine code into what is meant to be seen by the user. Uh, process means uh, applying our visual AI technology to extract the different signals from from this image. So uh, is there a um, a company logo in this this image? Is there um, text that um, hints at uh, inserting password, email, any personal identifiable information? Is there a uh, submit button? Is there a login form on this page? Everything again from, from a visual perspective, so without using the code. And then combining the signals to um, establish a, a threat score. So what, uh, how dangerous this page is, provided that, that the user would follow through with it. And, and that's the, the reporting part, where making that, that assessment of how uh, how that uh, um, visual rendition, uh, it, how much is dangerous for, from a user perspective. Uh, and again, uh, linked to things like is it? Um, does it look like it's, it's trying to spoof a specific uh, brand? Is it asking for personal information? Is there any submit uh, some input functionality into this page? So that's uh, in in a nutshell our approach for for dealing with the the graphical attack part. So basically, the...
0: turn it into a flattened image process the image report on those visual signals that we see which may or may not coincide with what the what the system has seen programmatically so one of the examples I think we've seen recently is uh where they use some javascript code to obfuscate a word just pad it with random nonsense programmatically you'll just see nonsense but if we then see the word login uh and they don't see that programmatically then clearly there's an issue is that basically is that what we're trying to achieve
3: absolutely we are operating at at that level that that, at which you need to be believable and you need to be credible because that's what the user is eventually going to see so Mm. that's exactly the level at which we are operating
0: really good fantastic okay that's i think that's clear Um, so I guess the million-dollar question, Ale, and I don't know if you can answer this, uh, if confidentiality allows or not. But um, I know you work very closely here, and, and Declan also. Uh, are we, you know, what's the impact? Uh, are we seeing tangible evidence that this is making a difference to the kind of detections that these companies are looking for?
3: Yeah, I mean, graphical attack vectors, uh, like we've seen how. Our technologies uh, deployed um, in conjunction with um, with traditional techniques, uh, you know, would would lead to you know double digit uh, percentage uh, increase in, in detection. But that's, in my opinion, not exactly. That the, the raw number is, is is not the point. I think the point is this industry. Um, does require the the, the highest standard of of accuracy. And therefore moving the needle from 80% to 90% means a lot. And it means Mm. even more when you move it from 90 to 99, because there is just, as we said before, you just need to be lucky once as an attacker. So it's an industry which is very, very responsive to um, being able to to bridge any sort of uh, any sort of uh, gap uh, in, in in the current detection capability, so that's again I think why this industry is, is so different and why uh, it, it really makes a a substantial difference to deploy the highest quality visual AI. Uh, you have on the market to 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 plug this these gaps
0: it goes back to budgie 's point of the one percent right if you can if they 're looking to increase by one percent because it makes such a difference, if you can decrease it by one percent or more preferably uh, then that has a huge impact downstream is, Have I encapsulated that right Budgie? yeah absolutely
1: yeah I think you're right but I think the difficulty here is what sort of metrics are you using to try and judge? How effective something is, you know, as you were saying, you only needs one successful attempt to get through. The reality is, we're never going to get to 100% protection. Uh, and but even saying things like, you know, I've stopped, you know, 10 million uh, emails today, or is, is meaningless because the the volumes are going up and up and up anyway. It's right. how many different types of email ah. or attack have you have you stopped? How quickly have you responded to the change in the types of attack? Wow. are going through which is probably more important to me than the actual number that you've stopped
0: uh, that's a great and, perspective yeah
1: very so good. yeah it's, as we said you know one getting through uh, means that you actually your whole network could be infected mm.
0: Uh, mm. well okay so we've talked about um, we've covered a lot of stuff so I'm going to ask the uh, I, I guess the a, a really interesting question in terms of you know you're you're at the forefront of of the whole issue of cybersecurity. Um, I don't know if you can share with us, you know, how far ahead you look, uh, especially whether it be governmental or, uh, you know, at at, at really high levels of of, uh, commercial uh, research in this area. I mean, what's the next thing or, or how far are you looking ahead?
1: Uh, that's a very good question. I think we need to be slightly careful how we answer this question because, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of research going on in in this area, and you know, companies and governments as well spend a fortune looking at you know future gazing at what the next threat uh, vector could be. It's difficult to talk about some of that because you know, exposing what the next line of attack could be, you know, making more people aware of that. Uh, just you know flags up to some of the people on the other side that actually oh i hadn't thought of that maybe i need to go away and find <laughs> a way of exploiting this so it's a, but what i can assure you is that there is an awful lot of time and money being spent on this uh from many different organizations and yeah there are some really uh, in- imaginative techniques being developed yeah. but on both sides
0: uh, and then democratized through the dark web which is i think that that's probably the worst aspect of it. You know, you've got one clever person coming up with something and then a million people taking advantage of it for relatively little money.
1: Yeah, and uh, an a lot of people looking at vulnerabilities, you know, work on the right side. You know, they're constantly you know, there's you know bug bounty type programs and you know lots of people finding, you know, zero days and they report it to the right authorities so people can go away and def- make def- defenses for them. Yeah, you know, on the other side of it if you find if you can think of another way of attacking the system you want to build your defenses, but you don't want to start telling people what they are because people will then go away and start thinking about actually can I subvert that or actually not everyone will have the latest, uh, defenses. So I'll, I'll go and attack the lowest hanging fruit. So yeah, you need to be very careful about what you communicate in this space.
0: Noted. Okay. Very good. Uh, so listen, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I guess I'll round it all up by saying, um, there's no question. Attacks that use graphics and imagery are here to stay, and uh, both victim organisations and spoofed brands, um, as we heard initially from uh, Declan, these these stats are very concerning. Uh, are worried about it. Um, how computer vision or visual AI is implemented to tackle this is key. Uh, not just programmatically, but used it in a in a in an innovative way, um, and we can see that when implemented properly, it can make uh, a critical difference uh, to detection rates and the, to Budgie's point, the broadening the types of detections that are um, that happen. So, and this is only the beginning, I guess, on uh, the bad actors to-do list of development. They're always finding new things and new ways. Um, and I think this approach that Ale talked about, which is to look at things visually rather than just programmatically um, is critical. Our adding these visual layers on top uh, adds massive value. So we hope you've enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much, Budgie, for joining us. It was uh, It's really eye-opening, some of these insights. Um, and obviously also to our very own Alessandra Prest and Declan McGonagall for your thoughts and insights there as well. Um, so see you next time. Uh, where we'll be discussing brand protection and product authentication using AI. Thank you.